are not joining us for the first time, you're aware that we are doing a series through the book of Luke. I'm called Jesus, the hope for humanity. If you like, Jesus, the only hope for humanity. That's what we've titled this series um, today. <clears throat> um, the title for my message is actually going to be Back to the Future. Now, I wonder if I bring this up. Maybe I better not play with it. I'll leave it alone. I was going to try and make the screen a little bit bigger because I've got some slides that I'm going to ask you to read along with me. Um, but the title for the message today is Back to the Future. And can you see my subheading is Keep Your Head Up? To quote a famous 90s rapper. Um, hopefully this makes sense as we move through the message, particularly as we get to the end. Um, back to the Future, Keep Your Head Up. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 21. I'm going to be looking at only nine verses from verse 20 to 28. <clears throat> so if you're going to turn there, turn there with me. Now, let me ask you a question. If time travel were possible, where and when would you like to travel to? If time travel were possible, where and when would you like to travel to? <clears throat> Welcome this morning to a journey back and forward through time. Um, as I mentioned, uh, text is Luke 21. I'm going to ask yeah, if Alex will flick there, flick there for me. So this is our text. <clears throat> um, let me read it. Verse 20 says, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, and this is Jesus speaking, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. <clears throat> Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Verse 25, and there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now these things now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Father, thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Please illuminate our way, I pray today, for Jesus' sake. Now, <clears throat> regarding eschatology, or the last days, or the last times, and the apocalypse, right, which talks about destruction and devastation. Actually, the word apocalypse, apocalypse is the word that um, 
is used for the word revelation. It actually just means to reveal. You hear the word apocalypse, and you think of, you know, like I said, devastation and destruction, right? <clears throat> but in biblical terms, the apocalypse is basically not just a revelation, it's, but it's, it's the revelation of the Lord Jesus. Revelation chapter 1 opens up. The very first verse says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the apocalypse is actually a revealing. Now, ultimately, <clears throat> eschatology, the apocalypse, ultimately, it all describes the eventual return of Christ. Amen? Now, to say that the second coming is complicated is an understatement. I see Mr. Carnegie looking in because he's preaching next week. Um, <laughs> if I were you preaching next week, I'd be listening carefully too, like I was listening very carefully last week. Um, to the part that came, the portion that came before this. Now, to say, like I said, that the second coming of Christ is complicated, is an understatement. It's not debatable as an event. It's the timing. Jesus is coming back, but the question is, <laughs> when? Not if, but when? When? And if you've been a Christian, even for a, for a short while, you'd be at least semi-aware of this. Could I ask you to put your hand up if, <clears throat> if you've been a Christian less than a year? Okay, anyone less than five years? Put your hand up. Thank you. Anyone less than 10 years? Anyone less than 15 years? 20 years? Okay, anyone? Okay. Good, we've got some mature believers in the house. How about, how about 30 years? Anyone been a Christian less than 30 years? Whoa, okay. How about less than 40 years? Huh, okay, wow. Well, I, I put my hand up as well because I'm in that group. I'm 35 years in or so. Um, how about over 50 years? Okay. Wow, all right then, sis. Well, I said black don't crack. Jeez. Um, how, about, how, about, how, about, how about over 60 years? I think there's only one person over 60 years, and he's outside. Mr. Carnegie, put up your hand, sir. All right, then. Elder statesman. <clears throat> okay, so put your hands down. Thank you. Oh, you as well over, over 60 years. You're not, over, you're not a day over, over 30, are you, Cain? Okay. Okay, so you put your hands down. Now, put your hand up if you know the date and the time when Jesus is coming back. <laughs> Loads of people have told you they do. Yeah, bruv. Okay, well, I'm glad, to see, I'm glad to see no one put their hand up for that one. Go to that next slide for me, Alex. <clears throat> I'm, glad, I'm glad no one put their hand up because Mark chapter 13 says, but concerning that day and hour, in terms of its specificity, no one knows. Right? But could it be argued that we ought to know the times and the seasons, which are different from the day and the hour? Next one, please, Alex. Thank you. So helpful with these slides. Notice, 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, and I'd include sisters, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But 
You are not in darkness, brothers and sisters, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. Keep your heads up. Keep your head up and encourage other brothers and sisters to keep their head up. Why? Because our redemption draws near. <clears throat> so, although we do not know the exact moment and ought never to try predicting it, <laughs> we need to stay awake and alert, right, to the fact that it will come and that possibly quite unexpectedly. Now, that being said, between, <clears throat> between not knowing the exact time and the potential possibility it could happen any time, around those two thoughts is a whole load of speculation. And, and that's not including the cults, Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons, etc. I'm just talking about within evangelical Christianity. I see my sister there smiling because you know. So much speculation around this topic. So instead of giving you just one perspective, um, which sadly I find that as I was reading, listening, researching this week, um, I find that most, most of those that I listen to land on one particular perspective and kind of push that perspective. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I think, especially if you've been introduced to this topic for the first time, which I'd really encourage you to, to carefully think about, if you go out to do your own research, you're going to find a whole plethora of different perspectives. You know what I mean? And <clears throat> I'm going to try and share a few as we walk through our text. Um, but one last thing before we jump in, and I would argue, I suppose this quite strongly, um, after my 35 years small experience, <clears throat> I would argue that the second coming of Jesus is going to be very similar to the first coming of Jesus. In that the first coming of Jesus was filled with ambiguity. I would argue the second coming of Jesus will be the same. We look back into the past with 2020 vision, don't we? Right, <laughs> But we look forward into the future as through glass, as through a mirror, dimly. We look back at the prophecies of Jesus' first coming and it's crystal clear. Right? Go to that next slide for me, bro. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. God says to, to the serpent... I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He, speaking of someone that's going to come in the future, will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Theologians argue that as what they call the proto-evangelion or the first mention of the gospel, speaking ultimately about Jesus, the last Adam, 
the serpent crusher who's going to be born of a virgin. Genesis 3, speaking about Jesus. Genesis 14 speaks about Melchizedek, who Hebrews uses as an example of Jesus. Exodus, um, Genesis 22, we hear the story about Abraham, remember, who's the father who takes his son, Isaac, his only son, his only begotten son, the son that he loved, it says in Genesis 22. And you'd be like, but he didn't have, that wasn't his only son. He had another son. Um, what was his other son's name again? Ishmael, oh, you're listening, hallelujah. I'm glad that you're listening because if you're not, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, gonna, gonna to easily lose you about 10 minutes in. So he has another son, Ishmael, but God doesn't recognize that as the son of promise. Isaac is the son of promise, right? So God says to, Isaac, to Abraham, take your son, your only son, your only beloved son. Sound like a bit like John 3.16. And he takes his son as, uh, and he's going to sacrifice him. And as, as he gets ready to do so, God provides, doesn't he, a sheep in its place as a substitute, no, with its horns stuck in the thorns. After Isaac carries the wood up the hill on his back, the same hill that Jesus would be crucified on after carrying the cross up the hill on his back, after having his head caught in a crown of thorns. 2,000 years after Genesis 22. Exodus 12. I'm giving you examples in the Old Testament that we look back and we clearly see how they speak of Jesus. Exodus 12. The blood of the lamb at Passover. Remember in Egypt, 1800 BC. Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, is the Passover lamb whose blood was shed. At Passover, the same celebration that was celebrated every single year since that time, AD 33, that was the ultimate Passover that the first Passover pointed to 1900 years later. That lamb then pointed to Jesus, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Deuteronomy 29, Moses says, the prophet to come, Jesus, Moses says, he's going to be like me, listen to him. 2 Samuel 7, the son of David, who? Or the, the great, 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 great grandson of David, who? Jesus, the son of David. Psalm 2, it says, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his Christ, the anointed one. And the Lord said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Psalm 16, the one whose body would not experience decay or corruption, Jesus whose body did not rot because it was raised from the dead after three days. Psalm 22, oh my goodness. The first verse of Psalm 22 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 18 says, They cast lots for my garments. Psalm 22. Verse 16 says, They pierced my hands and my feet. Like six, seven hundred years before crucifixion was even invented. Can you see Jesus as we look past, as we look back in the past? Isaiah 9 says, for, to us, we celebrated this a few months ago. For, us, a for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 53, Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 9, Micah chapter 5 verse 2 that says, O Bethlehem, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. 
Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's, it's also clear when we look back at his first coming. Can you see it? All of these plus hundreds of other prophecies were all mysterious to the readers and the listeners, even the writers at that time. It wasn't clear to them. Only a handful of people understood when Jesus eventually arrived the first time. You remember Anna and Simeon in the temple? They recognized him. The wise men who came from the east with their gifts. It wasn't three. It was wise men who brought three gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? They recognized Jesus at his birth. The woman at the well in John chapter 4, who recognized him for who he I mean, he told her explicitly who he was. She ran back to the town to tell everybody, come and see a man who told me everything about me. Could he be the Christ? Possibly Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, right? Who, after Jesus was crucified, took his body and buried it in, actually, in Joseph's actual tomb. These are people who recognize Jesus. How about the 11 disciples? Um, well, they kind of fluctuated, didn't they? <laughs> and then Mary and Joseph. Um, but not, not Jesus' siblings. I mean, if you know, they didn't actually believe that Jesus was who he was until after Jesus rose from the dead. I'm saying only a handful of people recognized Jesus at his first coming. Can you see the parallel in terms of his second coming? And like I said, there are so many different perspectives. Just go to that next slide for me, Alex. So many different perspectives. Matthew 24, Mark chapter 13, and our chapter, chapter 21 of Luke. You know, these are what they call synoptic, right? So each one of these chapters actually are referencing the same topic. And there's so many similarities between the three. But then there are also differences, not contradictions, differences. Um, you've got John 14, Acts chapter 1, Philippians 3, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 Thessalonians 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 5, Titus 2, 2 Peter 3, and then ultimately the book of Revelation, right? It's like these verses, when you look at them carefully, they mean this, or, or then maybe they mean that, or, or, or maybe they mean the third. It's all quite complicated. I mean... I can't even agree with myself, let alone everybody else. I've changed my opinion on eschatology at least two, if not three times over 35 years. How about you? See, I, 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 would, not, I would not agree with my 25-year-old self on these issues. But... How many of you know, after Jesus' second return, we will look back at all of these verses and we'll say, oh, that's what it meant. Then we will look back into the past with 2020 vision. But now we look forward into the future as through a glass, as through a mirror, dimly. That's my humble opinion. Okay, all of that being said, Luke chapter 21. <clears throat> and we could split up our verses into two simple sections. 
if only. Destruction of Jerusalem, verse 20 to 24, and then destruction of the world, verse 25 to 28. And if you remember the week before, do you remember what Denzel spoke about so eloquently and powerfully last week? Do you remember what he talked about? Very similar to these two topics. What did he talk about? The destruction of... Go to that next slide. No one ain't trying to help me today, so I'll keep it moving. I'll say amen to myself. He talked about the destruction of the temple. So <clears throat> you may even have similar headings in your Bible. If only it were that simple. <laughs> destruction of the temple, destruction of the city, destruction of the world. It would, be, it would be wonderful to say, yes, this is true, but you know what? God is going to rebuild them all. God would rebuild the temple, as we heard last week, the church, a building not made with hands, with Jesus as the chief cornerstone, and we as living stones built up together, we make up a spiritual house, First Peter chapter 2. It would be wonderful to talk about the fact that, you know, God's going to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, right? The new Jerusalem, the church as well as Israel grafted in, right? Or the, the, the olive tree grafted in. The new Jerusalem, a city where Jew and Gentile both together, Ephesians 2, a city set on a hill, Mount Zion, it says in Hebrews 12. A city that God would rebuild. It would be great to talk about the city after it being, sorry, about the world after it being destroyed, being rebuilt. Revelation 21 says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Verse 2, and I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It would be real. It would be a blessing. I would have virtually finished my message now with a little bit of embellishment, right? But those could have been my two slash three points. I would argue that this is all true, but is that what our verses teach? And if so, in what order? Bearing in mind, who was the original audience? See, we pick up our Bibles and often, immediately, <laughs> we put ourselves in the seat of the audience. As if these words were only written for us today in the 21st century. No. In its context, Jesus was speaking to a particular group of people in a particular place at a particular time. It is for us, but it was actually originally to them. It, it was to them and it is for us, but we have to keep it in that order and understand it from that point of view. But there are still more complexities. Even when you carefully contextualize this, there are still different ways to understand it in its different contexts. And so, we have three, three sets of questions. Could you go to that next slide, please? Thank you. Three sets of questions. This is the only way I could make sense of this without giving you one dogmatic perspective. So look at this, this graphic here. Um, For us in the 21st century, Luke chapter 21, our text, verse 20 to 28, are they events that, one, have already taken place, which is one perspective, or two, have they already taken place and are yet to take place, 
which is another perspective that contrasts with that first, it's different. And then number three, are there events described in our text that will take place in the future and only in the future? Now, I've not given you any full detail, but these are three opinions, three, three perspectives. Um, go to that next one for me, please. See, this is, ask, this is basically asking a quest, question, is our text talking about the past only? Is it talking about the past and the future, right? And, and, uh, or, or is it just talking about the future? And note, from whose perspective? Thank you. 21st century perspective. Go to the next slide for me, Alex. Now, our text is approximately 33 AD. And there are different questions that they would ask of this text, and probably primarily before we get to us, although I, I put us first a minute ago. Right? These events, are, are they events that have already taken place, were about to take place, or will take place in the future with regards to those in 33 AD? I mean, literally those who Jesus is speaking to, let alone, remember, this is going to actually be written in 66 AD, which is 30 years after Jesus. It's like keeping all of this stuff in context is tricky. <laughs> like reading it and understanding it, let alone trying to teach it. I've got to the next one for me, Alex. See, for, the t for those who were in the text who Jesus is literally speaking to, had these events in verse 20 to 28 already taken place? Were they in the past? Or were they about to take place, present tense for them? Or were these events that were going to take place in the future? Can you see that there is a difference between how we read it versus how they read it? And remember, our text is the answer to the question that the disciples originally asked Jesus earlier. Might remember from Denzel's section last week, Luke 21 says, And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And in verse 8 to 20, Jesus didn't even really fully answer that directly. Now he does in our verses. When, when, like, when is this going to happen? When is going to be the time when the temple will be destroyed? Matthew adds in his synoptic gospel, and Jesus is coming and the end of the age. Well, we know that the temple is going to be destroyed when? Thank you. AD 70, right? That's completely crystal clear. <laughs> it wasn't to them. But it is to us as we look back to the future, future as, as we look back to the past. Right? It's clear for us, but it wasn't clear for them. Jesus, how about Jesus' return? Apart from the destruction of the temple, how about Jesus' return? I mean, again, it's, it's not so clear. Why? Think about this. This grab, this got me. When I, when I tell you, like, this week has been... It feels very much that this is going to be a half-preached message because I know that I've not got the bugs out in the sense that it may not be as crystal clear as I would have loved it to have been. That's because I'm still trying to work it out. But I had to present something today, right? So 
Maybe Mr. Carnegie is going to give us all the answers next week. I don't know. It's you next week. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Amen. We could just wrap up and finish now. Pastor E will answer all the questions next week. <laughs> See, when the disciples said to Jesus, what is going to be the sign of your coming? You have to remember that the disciples... They weren't thinking what we're thinking. When we hear that, we're thinking, oh, the second coming of Christ. The disciples never even understood Jesus' first coming. Remember, Jesus said to them at least three times, I'm going to be delivered into the hands of the Gentiles. They're going to kill me. And then after three days, I'm going to rise from the dead. Three times he told them, and they never understood it. So when they talk about to Jesus, when is, the, when, is the, when is the time of your coming? They're not talking about the second coming. They're talking about what they mentioned in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 when they said, Lord, is it now you're going to set up your kingdom? Is the kingdom coming literally now? That's what they meant. See, often we pick it up and we read it. Oh, when is the time of your coming? He must be talking about the second coming of Christ because we're reading it from our point of view. That's not what it's talking about, possibly. So in the context of Luke 21, Mark chapter 13 and Matthew chapter 24, Jesus' coming speaks about the kingdom of God being restored. And Jesus setting up his earthly kingdom, that's what they were talking about. Not consummation of the age, second coming of Christ, final judgment. That's not what they're thinking. That should adjust the way you and I read this text now. Let's see if we can make some sense of some of this in the next 15, 20 minutes or so. Starting at verse 20. Next slide, please, Alex. Starting at verse 20. But when you, and who's the you? Thank you, Pastor E. When you, the disciples and others listening in AD 33, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. In this context, you can see who this is speaking to. Just go to the next one for me, Alex. I've got a little timeline here that I hope is going to help us as we try and tra track. So the question for you and me in the 21st century, has this already happened? Thank you. Yes, it has already happened. That is Jerusalem being surrounded by armies. It's already happened for us, but it hadn't yet happened for them. Can you see that? Because they're all the way in the past. But it will happen to them in 70 AD, approximately 40 years later. Incidentally, how many of you know that today Jerusalem is surrounded by enemies? Does this suggest that we can read that into our text? How many of you know that in 1967, Jerusalem was surrounded by enemies? Does that mean that we can read that into our text? Did you know that back in 587 BC, that Jerusalem was surrounded by enemies. Anybody know who? Begins with B. The Babylonians. 
is this a repeat of that which happened then? Like back to the future. Well, in Luke 21, verse 20, as you can see at the top of the screen, Jesus is speaking in the present and future tense. So, at least, so let's at least agree that it's future tense for the original listeners, right? Because it's going to come 40 years later. True? Verse 20, but when you, in AD 33, see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Desolation. This is a particular word that seems to correlate with the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 9, where Daniel speaks about the abomination of desolation. That's our word. And I can safely say that because in the parallel passage in Matthew and in Mark, these gospels both use the full term abomination of desolation. And, and, and I think Matthew particularly, he references Daniel because Matthew is writing for a Jewish audience. And they're going to know who Daniel is. Um, Luke and Mark, they're not writing for a, a Jewish, a Jewish um, audience. They're writing for a Gentile audience, Mark and Luke. Right? So they know that when, I, when, we, when we mention this to our, to our listeners, they're not even going to know about Daniel. They're not going to know about abomination of desolation. But... They mention the word desolation because there is a correlation. Matthew chapter 24, which is a synoptic, the parallel passage to our passage, says, verse 15, So when you see the abomination of desolation, notice spoken of by the prophet Daniel, stand, prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, Man says, let the reader understand. I'll be like, yeah, maybe it's something we need to pray for the understanding. Because as I'm reading it, I'm like, this is, this is tricky. Verse 16, and let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. Can you hear the similarity to Luke chapter 21, our text? Jerusalem surrounded by armies. How many of you know desolation does not sound like a good thing? This is a prophecy given by Jesus. And what are these listeners to do when, they, when, when this time comes? Next slide, please, Alex. Verse 21, it says, Then let those who are in Judea flee. Flee to the mountains and, and, and let those who are inside the city depart. And do not let those who are out in the country enter it. Now, if you've got your biblical theology hat on, you probably can hear a number of echoes from the Old Testament. Remember, remember Lot in Sodom? Can you hear an echo? So what, does, what, 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 what is the listener told here? Get the heck out of town. Right, and if you're if you're out of town, stay where you are. Why? Verse twenty-two. For these are days of vengeance to fulfil all that is written. So this is Jesus giving a prophecy based on a previous prophecy. Verse twenty-two says to fulfil all that is written. Can you see the prophecy within the prophecy? 
And you'd be like, this prophecy, like, what and where is that prophecy that might speak about vengeance? Next slide, Alex. Well, possibly Zechariah 14. Listen to verse 2. God says, for I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. Notice, this is Zechariah. This is the Old Testament. So obviously it's in the past. It's a prediction that relates to the future. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken and the houses plundered, note that, we'll come back to it, and the women raped. Half of the city shall go into exile. Remember, half of the city will come back to that. Can you hear the prophecy that Jesus is referencing that will be fulfilled? It's a prophecy from the past. Zechariah was written about 500 BC, so that's 500 years before AD 33, approximately the time that Jesus is Speaking in Luke chapter 21. It's a prophecy about God's people, the Jews, not embracing the Messiah when he arrives. Remember John chapter 1 says about Jesus. He came to his own and his own did what? His own received him not. Now, obviously, that's generally speaking. You had the odd one and two. I mentioned a few of them earlier. But the, the majority of the nation did not receive him. Do you remember a few weeks ago when we did Luke chapter 19? I can't remember who, who it was who was preaching that day. Luke 19. Next slide, Alex. Listen to what it says. Now remember, this is two chapters before our chapter. Jesus says, and when he drew near and saw the city, which city? Jerusalem. What did he do? He wept over it. I wonder why. Saying, would that you, even you, the historic city, that you had, even you had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Very sober. So Zechariah prophesied this 500 years before, and Jesus sadly, with tears, reiterated this prophecy. And it's funny how it didn't stop him from reaching out. It didn't stop him from preaching. I mean, if you know, even though people were not going to fully receive him, and that's an encouragement to us. How many of you got family members, friends and neighbors and work colleagues that you're sharing with and they're not trying to hear it? And, you know, and they may never hear it, but we preach to them nonetheless. Respectfully, carefully, passionately, in the hope that they might repent. Just as Jesus did. And I think there's an important intercessory lesson here for us. I heard someone say, you have no right to preach to anyone if you're not praying for them. There's an important intercessory lesson here for us as we consider God's judgment hanging over our city, our nation, our world. That we need to be praying. And that maybe even with tears. If we understand the desolation that's being spoken about. 
And in addition to that, Jesus hasn't finished outlining the coming destruction, the devastation, and the, de the desolation that's going to come in 70 AD. Next slide, please, Alex. Verse 23 of our text says, if you jump in, verse 23, because we've covered those verses. Verse, alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants. Hear the wonderful cry of babies. Sis, don't feel no way. It's not, it's not distracting me. It might, distract his, it might distract some of the listeners, but... Don't feel no way. Don't feel embarrassed or concerned, my sister. Amen. Even though I think there's a monitor set up in the other room still. But <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> um, verse 23. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. Verse 24. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. A few things briefly, because my time's nearly gone. Zechariah mentioned houses being plundered, I underlined it, and women being raped. Verse 23 mentions distress for pregnant women and nursing infants. Do you remember that later in the future, in the context of our verses, two days from now, Jesus will be crucified? If you, if you stuck with me there. Do you recall what Jesus is a what Jesus accuses the Jews shouted as they demand for Jesus to be executed in the next 48 hours. Do you remember what they shouted? <laughs> Alex, could you go to that next slide, please? I'm still struggling. I'm st <clears throat> Matthew 27, Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with this Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? Good question. But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. Verse 25, and all the people answered, his blood be on us. And on who? Our children. Can you see how the Jews actually brought a curse upon themselves? And 40 years later, on their children... Comes, comes this desolation. Go to the next slide for me. Here is an excerpt from the writings of a first century historian called Josephus. In, 80, quote, in, in, in 70 AD, when the last resistance of the city of Jerusalem failed, the Romans slaughtered until their arms grew weary. The total Josephus gives for the dead in the siege approximately 1.1 million, or nearly half of the Jews in Judea, exactly fulfilling Zechariah's prophecy. The siege of Jerusalem was, was probably the greatest siege, the greatest slaughter in ancient history. I had to read that again when I read that this week because I didn't realize. Josephus, in the wars of the Jews, in that writing, it contains a passage graphically depicting cannibalism 
practiced by the Jews starving during the siege of Jerusalem. In book six, chapter three, section four, a woman named Mary, daughter of Eliezer, describes the suffering and lack of food among the citizens of Jerusalem as being so severe that she could no longer find any sort of food and the famine pierced through her very bones and marrow. We don't really know what it means to be hungry. The hunger drove her to do a most unnatural thing and she took her son who was a child sucking at her breast who should have been enjoying nourishment from her and exhorted him to be thou my food. As soon as she had said this, she slew her son and then roasted him and ate the one, and, ate, and, and ate the one half of him and kept the other half by her concealed. When the act was discovered by other Jews, they were too horrified by her actions to punish her. Josephus wrote that most of the people distressed in the, by the famine wanted to die considering those already dead to be happier than those still struggling to remain alive, reduced to such vile acts as those committed by Mary. I think it would be true to say that a fair reading of Luke chapter 21, verse 20 to 24, clearly describes events that have already taken place historically and quite graphically in 70 AD. But in part, it has been argued that this describes later events that will happen in the future. To the Jewish nation even, especially in view of the last part of verse 24, which says they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Listen to Psalm 79. Um, if you go to that next slide for me, Alex. Listen to Psalm, seven, Psalm, 70, Psalm 79. Right, just, I say that because you need to know where that falls historically. It's, this is years before Luke 21, right? Which is a description of what happened to Jerusalem back under the captivity. It's actually, um, is it 578 or 687? Six, seven, six, I missed up my... This is the... Babylonian captivity. Psalm 79 says, O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. You'd be like, wait a minute. I thought this was happening in 70 AD. But Psalm 79 is talking about it. He says, they have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food, the flesh of your faithful to the beasts of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem and there was, none, there was no one to bury them. Imagine that sight. Verse 4, we have become a taunt to our neighbors. We have become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. How long, O oh Lord, will you be angry forever? See, this was a description of the Babylonian captivity 600 years before Jesus. Well, it seems like the Lord was very angry again. Because it happened again in 70 AD. Talk about back. Can you see why I've entitled this back to the future? Some would argue that the times of the Gentiles ran all the way up to 1967. Which is when Jerusalem was miraculously recaptured by the Jews in the Six Day War. 
Some would argue that the times of the Gentiles continue beyond that and continue even beyond now until Jesus returns and to rule and to reign in Jerusalem. Now, I'm not saying that, but I just want you to be aware of some of the different perspectives that are out there that you will come across as you hopefully do your own research. This stuff is complicated. Now, to our, to our, to our next section, which is not going to take me half as long as the first section, um, <clears throat> which on one hand seems quite distinct and can be explained as further future to 70 AD, verse 24 to 28 could, and has been seen, as, and has been seen by many speaking about events that will take place much later than 70 AD, even at the end of the age. Or so it might seem. Verse 25, and there will be signs in sun. Um, is, have I got the slide for that, Alex? Thank you. So this is that second section. Verse 25, there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. Notice, sun, moon, and stars, and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Verse 28, now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up, lift your head up. Raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. One way to look at this is in a way that is only literal. Another way to look at this is to look at it metaphorically. Again, I could dogmatically give you one way, but that would be me saying that I see through the glass clearly and that others see through the glass dimly. It could, be, it could be either or it could be both. It could be metaphorical in that it has already happened and it could be literal in that it hasn't yet happened and will happen in the future. In the future to the original listener and subsequent listeners over the past 2,000 years. And even future to us who are living in the 21st century. Go to that next slide for me. Listen to Isaiah chapter 13. And guess who this will describe in its original context. Spoiler alert, it's Babylon. When God judges Babylon for judging the Jews... Verse 1, a prophecy against Babylon that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw. Verse 9, see, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. Note verse 10, the stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Question, is that literal or is it metaphorical? See, the person arguing from the metaphorical point will clearly argue that this is a metaphor. 
Verse 11, I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. I'll put an end to the arrogance of the haughty and will humble the pride of the ruthless. This is what God did to Babylon at the hands of the Medo-Persians. See, the Babylonians thought they were bad, but here come the Medo-Persians. And they're going to do to Babylon what Babylon done to the Jews. They were going to be the next kingdom to succeed Babylon. And verse 10 refers to them as the stars of heaven, the sun, the moon. They are a metaphorical description of commanders, warriors, kings, nations, kingdoms. This is also illustrated in the book of Daniel, which I don't have time to go to. But if you think about the different kingdoms depicted by the statue, remember head of gold, chest of silver, torso, uh, head of gold, chest of silver, torso of iron, and then legs and toes of, of, iron, of, 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 iron, of iron, a mixture of iron and clay. It's not, it's not literal, it's metaphorical. Right? Do you remember when in Genesis, Joseph saw his brothers and his sisters and everybody bow down to him? But in the dream, he saw the stars and the sun and the moon bow down. You see, the sun, moon, and stars to Joseph, <clears throat> it was a metaphor for ruling. Go to the next slide. Listen to Ezekiel 32. There are so many, I don't have time. Ezekiel 32 says, Son of man, to the prophet, raise a Ezekiel, raise a lamentation over who? Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Like, this is not the first time this has happened. Verse 7, when I blot you out, I will cover the heavens and make their stars dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud and the moon shall not give its light. Is that literal? Verse 8, all the bright lights of heaven will I make dark over you and put darkness on your land, declares the Lord God. <clears throat> now we know that there was some of that that was literal. There was the literal darkness that covered Egypt. But again, both these examples, Isaiah and Ezekiel, they took place in the past. Well, how about the future? Revelation chapter 13 does a similar thing using metaphorical language. You can look it up later. <clears throat> now, I know you must be thinking, well, but Robert, what about verse 27? If you're saying, oh, this is metaphorical, notice I'm not saying it's metaphorical. I'm saying this is one of the perspectives. But you'd be like, if, if you're saying that's metaphorical, verse 27 can't be metaphor, or can it? And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Well, as I said, it could be both past and future. Listen to Isaiah 19, um, which is a reference to something like this that happened already in the Old Testament past. Listen to Isaiah 19. <coughs> With this clouds business. An oracle concerning Egypt. Behold the Lord is riding on a swift what? Now did the Lord literally come like silver surfer. Down on a cloud. It's a metaphor. And he comes to Egypt. And the idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence. And the heart of the Egyptians will melt within them. And I will stir up Egyptians against Egyptians. Now, this is interesting. And they will fight 
each against another and each against his neighbor. Notice, city against city, kingdom against kingdom. Does that sound like the language, the apocalyptic language, the eschatological language of Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke chapter 21, where Jesus earlier said there'll be wars, rumors of wars. Kingdoms will rise against... Can you hear the quote and the reference back to Isaiah chapter 19? So, I've just given you over the past five, ten minutes a partial introduction to the case for the metaphorical argument which is terrifying. I don't think, well, I, well, I, I was going to say, I don't think I need to make the case for the literal argument. I mean, I don't have time to make the case for the literal argument, but I don't think I need to make the literal argument because most people believe the literal argument that this is going to come at some point in the future where literally stars and sun and moon and we're going to see stuff happening in the heavenly realm. Am I saying it, it will? I don't know. Am I, saying, am I saying it won't happen in the future? I don't know. It, it might be. Which one? Either. It might be both. I'm trying to work with the complexities. Either one is terrifying. No wonder there is distress of nations and perplexity. I mean, we had just one outbreak. I don't want to say just like I'm minimizing it. You know, we had, we had an outbreak of a, of a worldwide, not even a local, but a worldwide epidemic. And how many of you know there was, there were, there was distress of nations and perplexity? But, but did the end come? Fainting with fear and foreboding, verse 26, of what is coming on the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. If you know anything about spiritual warfare, this may not necessarily just be speaking literally about earth. I mean, how do you have an earthquake in the heavens, a heaven shake? I don't know, an heaven quake. It's like, is that, is that, is that real? Well, it might be, but it might not be. It might be speaking about the principalities and the powers, as mentioned in the metaphor earlier that are being shaken. You've got, you got to remember, we as Christians, we live in two realms. We live in a three-dimensional natural realm, but we also live and exist in a spiritual realm. Like Everything you see is, is not what you see. And so understanding that means the metaphor is easy to embrace or not as the case. Maybe. <clears throat> now, I've got to wrap this up. <clears throat> Could these verses in Luke 21, verse 20 to 28, be allusions to events that have already taken place thousands of years before in the Old Testament? I just read, buried them. Yes. Thank you, Alex. Yes. Could these verses be talking about the events that took place in the first century in 70 AD? Yes. 100%. Could these verses be talking about events that will take place in the future? At the very end of time? Yes. Yes. As far as we're concerned, was this the first or the second one? Is there another one? You know what I'm saying? As far as this first one's concerned, 
These events in Luke 21, are they past, present, or future? Go to the next one for me, brother. And with regards to the original listeners, were those events, events that took place in the past? Yes. Have already taken place and are yet to take place for them then? Yes. <laughs> and will these events possibly take place in the future in terms of the destruction of the world? The answer would be yes. So I'm saying don't get bent out of shape when people start throwing at you all these different perspectives. And I mean, as long as, again, as long as they're not spurious, you know, unbiblical like crazy left field unbiblical perspectives but some of these perspectives we can actually hold in tension and in conclusion verse 28 says now when these things begin to take place and how many of you know this is a word for them then and for every disciple since 33 AD right to the current time and even beyond our time because how many of you know it, it looks like it to me it looks like Things are about ready to wrap up. <laughs> but who knows? Who knows? Regardless, verse 28 now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up. Put your shoulders back. Raise your heads. Because your redemption is drawing near. Can you see that in the midst of it all, we can keep our heads up? Because our redemption is safe. It's sealed. And ultimately, as every 24-hour period goes by, it's drawing nigh, isn't it? Old Testament Israel, let me end on this. Old Testament Israel was supposed to be Yahweh's light to the Gentiles. They were supposed to be, but they failed to do so. The first century Israel, when Jesus turned up, first century Israel was supposed to be a light to the world, reflecting the light of Christ. But sadly, they wholeheartedly as a nation rejected him, didn't they? And then by way of substitution, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, you are a city set on a hill. Literal or metaphorical? You are a city set on a hill. You're the new Jerusalem. You are the light of the world. May the Lord help us as 21st century disciples. May the Lord help us to illuminate like a beacon, like a lighthouse, metaphorically. This week, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen. Amen. Let me invite the band to come up as I pray. Lord, thank you that whatever the time in history, God, you always have a people in God's place under God's rule and your blessing. Thank you, Lord, that the fullness of our redemption draws near and nearer every day. With that in mind, Lord, help us to keep our heads up. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's look forward to the next section from Pastor E next week. Amen. Keep him in your prayers because I know I needed yours this week. Trust me, trust me, Daddy. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.